The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to On the Farm Pitcher List podcast about all things prospect, dynasty, and minor league related. I am your host, Lamar Gibson. It is September, which means it's almost fantasy playoffs for most of you out there. If you're like me, you've been mathematically eliminated for some time, but you still have a chance to play spoiler as well as find some useful cheap players on the wire or being called up that could serve you well for next season. Today, we have a jam-packed episode. At the top, we have a quick finish to our stock up stock down series looking at the American League East and then the rest of the episode we have a great round table with some friends of the pod we have Nick Richards returning we have Michael Richards um, making his first appearance on the farm podcast talking about prospects talking uh just kind of having a end of year uh wrap up session as this is going to be the last episode of the season so Let's get into stock up, stock down with American League East first. And then after the break, you'll have a roundtable with myself, Nick Richards and Michael Richards. Looking at American League East, uh, it actually kind of posed a bit of a challenge for me because there's so much that's kind of shifting with each franchise. You have um, some talent that is finally starting to bubble up in Baltimore, of course. Tampa is always sort of talent rich, but you're um, always trying to get an idea of exactly how they value that talent and um, are they going to platoon? Are they going to trade? Are they going to you know how they're going to mix and match those different parts? Um, the Yankees are, are kind of, you know, like the major league team, kind of all over the place to have some some talent at kind of the top end. Um, I don't know that they necessarily have the depth. Um, of some other teams, Boston is is a bit of a mess right now with their farm system. Uh, some guys called up, especially on the pitching side, um, Bello, uh, as well as uh, guys like Seabold, um, Tanner Hoke has is, is been up for a, a bit. So um, they have some talent there. Of course, Nick York, Marcelo Mayer. Uh, so again, kind of similar to the Yankees, some some high end talent. I don't know necessarily that they have the depth as well. Uh, the Blue Jays uh, don't really see a whole lot of talent throughout that system um, as far as uh, uh, kind of the top 30 um, or so um, 
guys in the Blue Jays system. Of course, you have some names that are bubbling out. Ricky Tiedemann is one that comes to mind. But with that being said, uh, let's kind of look at who has brought their stock up. And we're going to start in Baltimore um, with outfielder Colton Kowser. Kowser was a first round pick by the Orioles last season. And he's continued to rise up levels and rankings as he's produced pretty much from the jump. This season, he's continued to produce. He's put up um, the last time I researched this. So it's uh, maybe about a week old. But the line at the time was 297, 426, 479 with 13 home runs and 18 uh, stolen bases combined between high A and double A. Um, Kowser was uh, seen as pretty capable center fielder at Sam Houston State. Uh, he's continued primarily in center at both Aberdeen and double A Bowie. Uh, but I would say at 6'3", 195, there's a good chance that he continues to fill out. And that could prompt a move to right field. And I think he has a more than capable arm to manage that. So I don't see a big hit to his value if he does need to move out of center um, to the corner and right. The stolen base totals uh, probably will stay closer to um, 10 to 12, more so than 20. So I think he maybe is a bit overperforming at the, the lower levels, especially with the stolen bases. Uh, 16 of those 18 stolen bases were at high A. The highest total in his college career was 17, and that was his last season, um, his draft season. So, I again, I, I like seeing some stolen base totals, but I would temper my expectations to say they're probably going to be low double digits versus um, getting closer to uh, a 2020-type season, in my opinion. Uh, the biggest question mark that I see for Kowser right now just continues um, – to hang around his increase in power if he adds strength there's definitely the frame and the swing that i think uh could help deliver in that 2025 home run uh run without much trade-off for his average i think if he doesn't continue to see an increase in power and kind of just stays in the teens for home runs uh, i still think he's great uh for batting average and obp play uh but he may not necessarily crack that top 75 outfield rankings from a fantasy standpoint uh, especially, again, if you look at those stolen base totals not being in the high double digits either. Moving on, we have uh, another name that is shooting up rankings. Um, and I I actually found out about this guy doing some research for um, MILB, the, the minor league player and pitcher of the week column um, a, a month or so back. That's first baseman Kyle Manzardo of Tampa Bay Rays. And... I think he seems to be turning the corner in the power department. The reports on him coming out of college was definitely having a super high hit tool. Um, but the power was, was the question mark. He's really come on in the past couple of months. And uh, as a second round pick in last year's draft, again, reports heralded his hit tool. Fangrass has it uh, faded, uh, graded out as a 70 future value. Um, but now you see, Manzardo coupling more fly balls with that hit tool is resulting in a power surge at high A Bowling Green. He hit 17 home runs, 16 doubles, had a fly ball rate of 44%. He just doesn't uh, strike out. His approach is is definitely next level. He's been promoted to double A Montgomery. It's going to be important to see if he can maintain the power. And so far he has. Um, I didn't get a chance to grab his double A numbers, but I know just kind of keeping a, a general eye on him. He's continued to produce home runs uh, and, and extra base hits overall while being at double A Montgomery. So 
if that stage you're looking at potential 20 home run 270 hitter at first that definitely is at the higher end of uh offensive outcomes for that position if for some reason that power starts to waver doesn't remain i still think he's in that 270 range for the um batting average and definitely an uh, absolute on-base stud uh because he does not strike out he knows how to work walks um and he really has a, a disciplined approach at the plate to seek out pitches that he can do damage on and not uh, doing a lot of chasing. So I think if, again, the power starts to to fade a little bit as he looks at next season and probably starting off in double A before possibly moving up, if there is a, a trade off of power, you probably would just need another corner infielder of some sort that has mostly all pop to pair with Manzardo to kind of get that full um that 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 full holistic sort of corner player uh, corner infield player uh but again he still will be great for batting average leagues and absolute um uh sort of must have for obp leagues i think um the price is starting to go up on him so now's the time to seek him out if he is available on the wire um, i'm sure for most leagues trade deadline has already passed so you're probably not able to trade for him um, but if you're able to seek him out, if he's still there for free, I'll say now's the time to pick him up because in the off season, as people start to re-rank and look at uh, performance, he's definitely going to um, go up, 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 and uh, he's going to go off the waiver wire fast. Again, from a trade standpoint, you probably are going to have to pay um, a hefty cost for him because you're probably going to start seeing him in that top 150 realm um, for a lot of um prospect rankings especially the more aggressive ones that being said um he the 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 caveat that we have to that is um he is on the raise he is a definitely a first base only prospect there's really no chance he doesn't have the footwork the athleticism overall to i think be moved off of that position anywhere else so there's still always that concern about him getting um into any sort of platoon situation uh, or sat at the major league level. So it'll be significant to see how he's brought along by Tampa. We know that, again, they always like to mix and match and they're doing different platoons and, you know, different guys are doing different things. So um, that is the only sort of caveat that I see to Manzardo right now. But other than that, again, I'd say go after him. Moving on to Boston, one of those uh, few pop-up names that they've had this season that is again, shot up the rankings, uh, sort of similar to Manzardo, starting off under the radar and then just moving his way uh, up throughout the season. And I'm probably going to butcher this name as well because I haven't seen a, a hard, fast pronunciation, but I'm going with Sedan uh, Raffaella uh, of Boston. He is uh, co- sort of uh, infield, outfield uh, prospect. They Started him uh, at shortstop. I think he's played a little bit of second. And now, more recently, he's been in center field um, as he's gone up levels. And again, a name that pretty much came out of nowhere, had some uh, swing adjustments early in this season. And it sounded like in uh, last season and the offseason as well. And suddenly he was just on fire May and June. He's sort of cooled off since. But he definitely is a name that will have moved up Dynasty rankings a lot come 2023. Uh, Raffaella was signed out of Curacao in 2018, kind of just hung out in the lower levels of the first 
um, of Boston's farm for the first couple of years of his career. And even last season, as we were seeing some players that made some major positive games come gains coming out of the pandemic season, Rafaela just hit 251, 305, 424. That's uh, was good enough for a 95 WRC plus. So again, not seeing anything super outstanding from him last season, but this year he finishes uh, April hitting 305 with six home runs. Everybody's kind of stand up and taking notice. Who is this guy? And like I said, man, June, he really caught fire from then on. He's a small uh, uh, player, um, 5'8", 152. I think that uh, there have been a lot of Mookie Betts comps because of that size, because of obviously the team with the Red Sox and that infield outfield versatility because, of course, uh, Mookie Betts came up as a middle infielder as well before moving into the outfield. Again, I'm not a big comps guy. I'm not going that far. I will say with his size, I don't see a whole lot of projection on his frame, of course. Um, And I think it's worth noting that that swing adjustment has really been what's helped him gain more loft and consistent hard contact. It's not been anything, I I think, from a strength standpoint, because there's really not a whole lot um, for him to bulk up. And I think if he does, then he loses a lot of his flexibility that he has um, as a pretty good defender, both on the dirt as well as in the outfield. So um, the the swing adjustment, you like seeing that, you like seeing young players being able to take um, learnings from, uh, their different coaches and, and development folks and put that into play and see the positive gains. Uh, uh, again, as I mentioned, he plays shortstop in second base by trade. He started in sec- uh, center field more and more this season. Uh, it was promoted to double A in June after a couple of good months. Right now, he finished the month of August um, hitting around 232, 317, 435 was the last slash line that I saw for him. Um, there haven't been an increase in strikeouts, so that's a good sign. He's continued to uh, show an affinity to be able to walk. And I think um, even though he's only had 16 hits in those uh, at, at the time of, of me um, researching this, it was 16 hits out of 69 um, at bats in the month of August. More than half of those 16 hits have been extra base hits. So, again, still um, making hard contact, still being able to drive the ball. I think at the same time, I'm still lowering my expectation just because this did come out of nowhere for somebody that, um, again, we don't have a whole lot of uh, projection on his body. So um, it's going to have to all be mechanical uh, uh, sort of swing decisions and and mechanically driven uh, for him to continue to improve. I think as great as he's been, he's still closer to super utility player, um, almost like Kike Hernandez style to keep with the Red Sox theme, um, to be able to move between infield and outfield more so than this guy's definitely an everyday starter. Um, still think there's value there. I see him being able to contribute 10 to 15 home runs, probably around the same range for stolen bases. That being said, because his name is so hot, he's going to cost you again, just like we talked about with Manzardo. If you're trying to trade for him, I doubt that he's available on any sort of wires unless you're in a very uh, small league. Um, But any sort of deep leagues, he's been long gone. I'd say wait, see how he finishes this year. If you want to pursue a trade in the offseason, you know, take a look. I'm more interested to see how he looks in his second go round at double A to start 2023 before I start making, um, you know, any sort of, I don't want to say definitive, but 
getting any sort of ideas on is there more uh, to his floor? So not the ceiling, but is there more to his floor than just being a super utility guy? So that's stock up. Moving to stock down and our final stock down, we have um, a couple of players that still have, in my opinion, some real major league potential, uh, but they've seen a significant decrease in value. And we got a couple of speed first infielders that I think have taken a little bit of a, a tumble in, in fantasy leagues. Starting off, we're going to go to Toronto with shortstop or Elvis Martinez or Elvis um had one, I think, of of the better overall seasons in the minors last year. I think definitely if, if it wasn't for Anthony Volpe just going off, uh, we would have been talking about Martinez a, a lot more. He hit combined 28 home runs between both levels of A-ball. The one drawback for Martinez last season and it's carried over into this season, consistent contact uh, after his promotion to high A in 2021. He only hit 214, 282 OBP. This season, they bumped him up uh, to double A. He, uh, again, the last time I researched this was was about a week and a half ago. He was hitting 199, had 277 OBP, 29.7, so almost 30% if you just uh, round it up, 30% K rate. And power's still there. He's at 28 home runs again with a month to go, you know, roughly in the season. So that's never a question. I think, though, he's shifted out of that top 100 uh, listing, in my opinion, just due to that volatility, the pop stays, um, you know, remains as his carrying tool. But can he be an everyday player if he's not showing that ability to hit above the Mendoza line? And especially when he's never shown the ability to be even average, let alone above average at being able to take walks. So if he's very aggressive, he's not taking walks. He knows how to to hit the ball out, obviously, when he's making contact. I just don't know if that's going to be enough uh, from double A on to really carry him to be of both real life value as well as um, fantasy value in the long term. I can see him being very much one of those streaming bat guys at, at this point, you know, a bat that he can get hot. He can go deep. Maybe you have him as a bench bat that you know you can kind of plug him in here and there if you see some nice matchups, but not necessarily the reliable everyday shortstop um, that I think we may have thought he was a couple seasons ago. Moving back to Boston with somebody going stock down, uh, you have outfielder Gilberto uh, Jimenez, and Jimenez still seen as a major speed threat, uh, was thought to have some decent power, and the stolen bases have been ever-present. Uh, I don't think it's the elite skill set that we may have foresaw um, from scouts and evaluators, but it's still there. Currently, uh, he was at 18 of 27 for stolen bases, so not the greatest um, percentage, but still seeing the affinity to uh, be aggressive on the base paths. And as seems to be the case for most speed um, players, most young guys that are seen as speedsters, the hit tool just hasn't developed um, along with his ability to to move um, from base to base. For him, he's yet to accumulate 20 walks in a full season of time. And uh, again, as I last looked this up, he was at 19% for a swing and strike rate. So just another guy that if he gets on base, man, can he can he bring some value, right? Can he move? But can he ever get on base 
at a consistent enough time. Um, he doesn't strike out more than average, which is kind of interesting seeing that very high swinging strike rate. But it is not in comparison to Martinez. He is not sporting 30 you know, plus type of K rate. But um, the aggressive approach, along with a very high percent of ground balls, 57.2 percent. Again, it just equals a hitter that doesn't get on base enough. And again, he's also not. As I said, 20 walks in full season, he's not somebody that's going to be patient enough to work a walk. So doesn't doesn't have the patience to work a walk. Hits ground balls at way too high percentage. Um, swinging strike. So he's he's missing at uh, uh, pitches, even though he's not necessarily striking out, but he's still swinging and missing at enough pitches that he's not making contact there. There's just too many sort of holes here. Um, at this point, I think there's enough toolsy outfielders, especially as you get ready for um, FYPD, there's more than enough um, outfielders with some sort of carrying tool that are at his age or under 23 that you can find, uh, like I said, either through FYPD or on the wire. I don't see reason to spend time with Jimenez on your roster as of right now. I would need to see a major change in what he's producing and how he's doing it before I'm pursuing uh, bringing him onto my roster. And to finish up, we have a couple of guys from the race system. I'm putting them together just because they have a lot of similarities. That's Greg Jones and Xavier Edwards. Ironically, from the time that I put this on, or maybe coincidentally, I should say, from the time that I put this together to now, I've seen Xavier Edwards actually hit out um, a couple of home runs. And that was one of the major things that I had ding him for is just not a whole lot of pop. Um, so maybe his ears were burning a little bit. But both Greg Jones and Xavier Edwards uh, guys that at the point of, of starting their careers showed uh, ability to move around the infield. You know, the Rays especially love that play multiple positions. Um, definitely being fleet of foot, both very fast guys, but um, and just overall athletic, right? But questionable hit tools each um, in both cases, not making enough hard contact, a lot of ground balls, uh, I believe with Jones, it's it tends to be a, a case of uh, high percentage, uh, high percentage of strikeouts as well. Um, so just really quickly, I think at this point in time, um, again, they're they're both haven't really cracked through into the double A level either to to show that there's a change um, or a, a positive increase in in how to value them from a fantasy standpoint. So I think Greg Jones, Xavier Edwards. Um, the Rays are so, I mean, if you look at just, again, to fall back on fan graphs, if you look at fan graphs, I think they had uh, a list of 63 prospects when, when long hanging was doing, um, you know, his typical farm system, look 63 prospects, even if you cut that in half or so, you know, that means that, you know, do they fall, do Greg Johnson, Xavier Edwards fall in the top 30, 31 or the bottom half, I will put them in the bottom. Um, I think, Tampa Bay has some more interesting guys if you want to just look system um, specific and definitely just out and about. You can find some other middle infield types that have um, at least a couple of other tools that, that include a decent hit tool, even if they may not have the speed of Jones or the speed of Edwards. They can hit better. They have a better approach. They can walk more. They can bring more value either batting average wise or OBP wise. Um, again, kind of similar to what I was saying to him and as I would have to see a major change in their production and how they're producing. Um, and also to see that at uh, uh, both the high as well as double A level. 
before I'm going out and pursuing either Greg Jones or Xavier Edwards. So that finally puts the wrap on um, our stock up, stock down. Uh, after the break, we will have our end of season friend of the pod uh, roundtable wrap up with Nick Richards and Michael Richards. Hope you all enjoy. Hey, Alex Fast here, and thanks for listening to this podcast on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. If you're a fan, consider supporting all of us by getting a PL Plus subscription, where you're going to get an ad-free website and get access to our Discord, where you can talk to all of our podcast hosts and staff. Plus, you can hang out with our incredible Pitcher List community. It's basically a baseball sanctuary year-round for as low as $8 a month. You can sign up at PitcherList.com backslash plus, and you're going to get your first month free with promo code podcast also don't forget to check out everything else we do as well from youtube videos live streams newsletters off-season articles tiktoks breakdowns over 15 baseball podcasts on our network we can't stop talking about baseball even during the off-season so sign up for pl plus today at pitcherlist.com backslash plus and use promo code podcast to get your first month free all right thanks for listening let's get back to the show All right, and we are back. Uh, as I mentioned, so last episode of the season, and I thought we should put together a little Friends of the Pod roundtable discussion, kind of do a year-end wrap-up. So I reached out, um, have former guest uh, Nick Richards, and I have Michael Richards, no relation, um, with me as well. And Michael is making his on-the-farm uh, debut with me. He should have had him on earlier in the year, and that's on me. But he's uh, kind enough to join us now. Um, just as a, a reminder, if you didn't listen to um, my episode with Nick, Nick Richards has been writing for Baseball HQ for the past 10 years. Uh, most recently as a minor league analyst, he started his website, MILBanalysis.com, two years ago. Highly, highly, highly recommend that you favor that website. He does great write-ups on a lot of different prospects. You're going to find a lot of good information. If you don't know Michael Richards, you should as well. He's a writer in prospect analysis, and this guy's got bylines for days. He's at fan tracks. He's at uh, Triple Play Fantasy. He's written for Prospects 1500, Roto Fanatic, um, Prospects Worldwide. He's co-host of the Call Up podcast. So Michael is everywhere. Um, so you should be tuned into both of these gentlemen. Thank you so much for joining me today, guys. Glad to be here. Glad to be back. Yeah, thanks, Lamar. Uh, like you said, we've been trying to link up for a little while here and uh, really looking forward to having this discussion with you. Love talking prospects and and Nick as well. We've linked up a few times on podcasts and always enjoy talking with him. Perfect. So um, 
what I did just so the audience knows. So kind of cobbled together some different questions and some different categories um, to, to share with the gentleman. We're going to be kind of having a bit of a free will discussion. So we'll, we'll see where it goes. I got one last question that I threw in that I didn't prompt that I didn't like let you guys prep for. So I got like one little bonus round question that I threw on at the last minute. We'll get to that. Um, but first and foremost, I want to start with kind of seeing how uh, the top of this episode I was doing stock up, stock down and finishing up that series. I want to kind of talk about highs and lows. Um, the f- one of the first questions that I want to start with was who has been um, probably the most surprising prospect for you this season? And definitely want to hear about why, like what, what was the surprise aspect for you in a positive way? When you ask that question, the first one that came to mind is not the best prospect, but it certainly surprised me was uh, Chase Silseth, the right-hander for the Angels, who I, I happened to write about him just randomly in early May on my site. And I said, yeah, look, he's doing pretty good. He, he might be in the majors someday. And less than a week later, he's pitching in the major leagues. And I'm thinking, what on earth is going on? Oh, you love to and see that. Yeah, yeah. That was what's surprising is like to see a guy come up and he's now pitched almost 30 innings at the major leagues and the surface numbers are not great, but his ex-FIP at the majors is 4.25 and he's striking out almost 20% of the guys he's facing. The walks are a little high. It's credible, credible performance at the major league level from a guy who really should be and has spent most of the year at double A. And so... That was like a, a pop-up guy was like, oh, okay, this is this is a guy I should pay more attention to. And by the way, at Double A, he's doing great. So, yeah, that that's that's one. Um, Pete Crow Armstrong, the outfielder for the Cubs, was another positive surprise for me this year because the book on him was always great defense. He's going to make the major leagues just on defense alone got speed he can probably give you a pretty good batting average but uh, not so sure about that power well now we're sure about the power because this year he's been healthy he's gone through a couple of levels the power is there the speed remains he doesn't strike out too much he's getting on base now he's turning into the full rounded prospect and so now he's uh, one of the cubs best prospects one of the better outfield prospects so that was a, a real positive thing and the third one that I – this is not the best prospect again, but he did something really surprising, and that's Brandon Fatt. That's P-F-A-A-D-T, uh, right-hander with the Arizona Diamondbacks organization. And um, he's, he's at best a number four pitching prospect, right? But he's gone through double A. He repeated double A this year. And last year, they hit 276 off him. This year, they hit 274 off him, very consistent. But he did strike out more guys, so that's good. But what was surprising is he gets moved to uh, to AAA, and he's moved to AAA Reno, and he's pitching at Las Vegas and Albuquerque. And if you know that Pacific Coast League, you know those are awful places for a pitcher to pitch. Mm-hmm. You come out of the PCL with a 1.5 whip, you call that a moral victory, move on, never talk about it again. <laughs> and this guy 
has, it's just 37 innings so far, but he's got a .892 whip in those locations. Are you kidding me? And he's striking out guys. The walks have come up a bit, but they're hitting 167 off him in AAA. So again, not the best pitching prospect, but he looked like he could be a number four type pitcher in the major leagues. And now it looks definitely like he's going to make the major leagues because he's gotten off to a great start at triple a absolutely yeah, michael uh, for for this exercise i put my mind back into the last winter before the season started and so the the first name that came up when i started looking at lists right now is jackson churio mm-hmm. uh, i mean he's made a huge jump this year yep. i was I liked him last year. I, I prided myself on following the Dominican Summer League players, and he was really a good player last year. Had had, had a 14% strikeout rate, you know, five home runs, eight steals, 131 WRC+. Plus. But that's not anything that j- screams to me, like this guy's going to leapfrog all the players at his level and age. And he didn't even go to the complex. Like, he went straight to A-ball and was immediately one of the best players there. And then he's gone up to high A. He's he's tailed it down a little bit, but he's still well above average there. He's basically the same player he was in the Dominican Summer League last year in high A right now at age 18. This is an incredible story, really. It's just very rare for an 18-year-old to get up to high A and be producing like this. So he was the first guy I wanted to mention. And also in, in the same sort of vein, Ricky Tideman for the Blue Jays. During first-year player drafts last year, he was an afterthought. You know, I was talking to a buddy who was deep in the dynasty. He was talking about picking him as the 90th pick overall in, in a first-year player draft. You know, So this is a guy you, you could have had for free. Uh, I was pretty dismissive of him just as a 19-year-old pitcher in general. Like That's not something I generally will invest in in dynasty, but he's made the biggest leap uh, on the pitching side, probably him and Andrew Painter, but Painter was more well-known, so... Uh, those are the two that have, have been the biggest surprises positively for me this year. Yeah, um, I put Churio on on my list here as I was um, I was getting ready, and I was like, okay, who's who's my person? And it was really because, like, to, to your point, Michael, like thinking back, I I'll be honest, I try to keep up with um, DSL and, and that sort of thing, but. And and this gets to a question I have later on. I was trying to kind of wean off of that just because there's so many guys that yeah. look great, right? As 17, 18 year olds playing in Dominican, and then you know they make their stateside debut and it all kind of falls apart. So he was he I didn't even know the name. And to your point, like season starts, um, he makes stateside debut. He jumps right into high, and it's literally like every night on the timeline, it's him hitting a home run. It's him still on the base. It's him with extra base hits. Um, I think even last night he had another home run. It's like four out of the last five games or something like that. It's just constantly all the way up through two double A. So now, um, and I think I don't remember if this was uh episode I had with you, Nick, or or one of the other guests, but I was talking about like margin of error. That's how I like to look at a lot of prospects. Like how much margin of error do you give yourself? Because we know the game is hard. We know there's gonna be a valley that you're gonna hit. When you're 18 years old and you have that sort of margin for error, okay, let's say next season he repeats double A and he's not this good. He's still what, 19 years old at double A and probably yeah. being a but still above average as a player. 
um, that's okay. Like he's he's given himself a very long runway um, to find success. So that's definitely a name that pops up um, for me. Uh, I liked what you were pointing out, Nick. About I think we were discussing on Twitter about about that with the PCL. Like when you look at any sort of pitcher that performs anywhere near decent <laughs> in PCL, you're like, yes, okay, that's good. Like you really have to adjust um, how you look at what is success when you yeah. get those run environments. Um, if you look I'm at out alive, that's a, that's a great thing. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. I, I've been trying to pay attention to baseball America. I know they put out their park factors for the minor yeah. leagues in 2021 and trying to pay more attention to that. And yeah, when you look at some of the run environments, like what the, what the park factors are in the PCL it's like, oh, dear God, <laughs> it's like, yeah. what if every, what if we made every stadium course field? <laughs> what if every stadium was course field? Now go pitch. Yeah. I think there are some teams that just don't want to even send you to the triple a West. Just, right. just, just skip it. Go double a, go to majors. It's right. easier. Right. I, I think it's hilarious. Every time I'm on with, you know, with Michael, he's always come up with these, you know, these great answers. Those are two great names. I'm always coming up with the quirky names. I don't know why. It always does. It I'm always works. finding little oddball statistical things that I think, wow, you know, that's cool. No, it up with the names that everybody should be paying attention to. Well, I think that's the that's the great thing, and that's that's why I wanted to have uh, you all on. I know uh, there was a, a couple of other guests that uh, weren't able to to make it, and hopefully uh, we can do something similar uh, going into next season because I think uh, all all of you uh, that we're having is sort of like offline. Uh, conversation the perspectives are all very helpful that's why i like following you all and like having these discussions because it's never just like oh here's the top 100 list and so it's going to be one of these guys it's like isn't and not to be dismissive like those players are top 100 for a reason it's like i get it but when you look at trying to bring value for a dynasty league those guys either you roster them or you're not like they're 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 not going to be available unless you're making a big trade so Right. These other names, those are the guys that um, if you were on Jackson Churio in April, you're feeling really good about yourself right now, right? Like you those are. are the guys. If you're on a, a brand of fat or fat, you know, early on, you're feeling real good about yourself. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, this is this is all good. Now, unfortunately, we gotta we gotta flip it because that's most surprising in the positive sense. Now we're looking at I what I put as most disappointing. Maybe you can say most surprising negatively <laughs> um but who who are some names that come to mind for you all mm, for me lewis matos really mm. he just uh, he had a pretty good year last year at a ball not terrific but nothing was really bad except he didn't take many walks and sometimes you get these young guys at the lower levels that don't take walks because they're swinging at everything and making it work because you know they've just got talent and so it it does work until suddenly it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And that's what happened to him this year. He went up to high A and um, his 360 on base percentage becomes 280 this year. Ah, he's still walking 6% of the time. The funny thing is he doesn't strike out much. I mean, he really does have good batting eye, except he needs to, it's not enough to, to not swing at the bad pitchers. You've got to swing at the good pitchers. You can't just be passive. And um, he's really disappointed this year. I will say in August, just isolating August, he hit almost 300, mm-hmm. at 321 on base percentage. But even there, um, it's like two walks to 17 strikeouts. So, you know, it, it, you give him a mulligan because 
he really was a pretty highly rated prospect, but he can't keep doing this. He's got to adjust now yeah. and start getting better at the plate. Do you do you factor in the injury that he had? Absolutely. Um, okay. That's why I isolated August. I okay. think maybe now a healthier Mata Matos may be setting up for a better next year, but we have to now see it next year to believe yeah. it, right? I was actually going to bring up Matos as well. That, that was the player that I thought needed to be highlighted for, for this section because I was so high on him, like just looking at the stats and everything, that I thought his hit tool was actually underrated. So he was someone that I saw as someone who could be plus across the board. And I viewed him as in that tier with like Robert Hassel, Corbin Carroll, and just different people coming into the season that I thought could leap in and become the number one overall prospect. So I'm shocked as as struggles this year. I know he's still relatively young for the level and everything, but as Nick said, this is a player that still has the the good contact rates. Like something's something's off about this. I'm not sure what's going on. Yeah, this I don't see this this combination of things with this these scouting grades and right. the ability yeah. to make contact and the power speed just disappearing. So it's like something's he's injured or something or something's off or there's going to be a readjustment. I see him as one of the best buy lows in Dynasty. Yeah. But yeah. also, I'll, I'll real quick, th- I'll throw in another guy. Uh, I won't go too deep on him, but Brennan Davis for the Cubs mm. also mm-hmm. fits into this. Yeah. He was a lot Very similar. Yeah. In power speed, you know, has some he struck out a little bit more. Uh, so there was that concern, but he was young to the level. He was. Was up in AAA futures game MVP last year. I mean, he looked like a guy that could have gotten to the Cubs this year and at least got his feet wet and been a big part of their future. Now I'm questioning what his role is. Is, is Alexander Canario and mm-hmm. uh, Chris Morell have they surpassed him on the depth mm-hmm. chart? So yeah, uh, that's but but also <laughs> I still see it as a buy low in Dynasty because yeah. players don't always come on the path like that you want them to. So yeah. Yeah, very similar um, players also uh, this year with has, dealing with injuries that kept them out for, you know, multiple weeks um, before before coming back. So uh, it'll be curious to see. I, I definitely agree on the buy low aspect. Right. You might be able to get somebody that's kind of you might be able to get a manager that's kind of like, ah, you know, I'm ready to, 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 to pass on one of those guys and you might be able to reap the rewards. And I think, um, Nick, definitely to your point, like both of them have moved from we feel pretty good about it. Right? We feel pretty good about who they are. We just want to see at every level. And now they kind of have to like build up that trust almost all over again to be like, were yeah. you really who we thought you were? Like, who who are you? Um. So yeah, I definitely, I like both those calls. I'm going with the quirky name this time. Um. And this might be just very specific to me, but um, out of Arizona as well, Ryan Nelson, um, their pitcher is somebody that was disappointing to me. I still think he can make it to the majors but last season what he was showing was he looked like a starter he looked like a like mid rotation guy the numbers he was putting up at high end and double a and for somebody that had been looked at as um you know reliever risk probably a, a bullpen guy high leverage you know two pitch um mix etc cetera, etc cetera. he looked like no I'm, i've grown past that and then this year it's all kind of tumble back now to be fair Amarillo 
is double A, but it, it plays like a, a PCL park. It is awful when you look at park factors. So that might be um, some of it as well. But just where I thought he was ready to take that next left and, and stay in a conversation with the Dre Jameson, a Brandon Fott, uh, Blake Walston, like some of the other uh, big name guys that they have in Arizona this year kind of took a step back into a tier below now. So Nelson is, is my quirky name that I'll add to that mix. My rule of thumb when you're talking about top prospects, you know, the top 50 type guys, is you give them that one year. Mm. If it doesn't happen a second year, that's when you say, all right, give up on the guy. Whereas these pop-up guys, no, they produce or they're gone. These highly rated guys, like with Matos, I mean, even in his worst year, he's only striking out 16% of the time. There are guys who would love to only strike out 16% of the time. So, yeah. Um, these guys that we talk about, they, they've got skill, but it just hasn't worked. And sometimes baseball is like that. The ball yeah. just doesn't bounce the right way and you have a bad season. It may not be an indictment of your skills. It could simply be you had a bad year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Michael, to your point, uh, with the Cubs specifically and thinking about Brendan Davis, uh, you bring up a really interesting point that I always like to try to factor in when you look at um, team environment. I know that for a lot of dynasty players, they're like, hey, just bet on the talent. The talent one went out. And I'm not here to say that that's wrong. I'm not here to say one thing's right, one thing's wrong. My perspective, though, is I do think team context and environment does play a factor because the team, right, in real life is looking at who, what have you done for me lately, right? And you got a guy like Chris Morrell, who for me pretty much came out of nowhere. I think for a lot of dynasty players, they were like, ah, you might be a super utility guy. You know, he has some, some multi-positionality, but boom, he's like jumped into starting lineup he's going to be there somewhere they're going to play him somewhere right um nelson velasquez is a guy that i was high on i don't think he's as talented overall as uh p crow armstrong or even uh, a canario but he's already he's there and that's half the battle he's on the major league team he's getting major league bats. that's half the battle so when you have guys like that and then you have a, a pca um the canario has now gotten really hot this season you have those guys that are coming up a guy like Brendan Davis that looked, again, a year ago, a year and a half ago, like a foregone conclusion. Of course, he's going to be part of the next, you know, great Cubs team. Sometimes you find yourself on the outs looking in, <laughs> and it's just that fast, Um, even as a even as a top guy. So I think that's a really good point, too, to consider team context. Who else is a similar, uh, plays similar positions or brings similar value to the team in real life? And some guys play their way in, some guys play their way out. Yeah. Yep. So to, to wrap up kind of this section, um, and this is like the big, <laughs> Nick and I were talking about this uh, before we start recording. This is like the big open-ended question. Yeah. Who, is your cur- who currently is your favorite pro- prospect and why? Um, you can take this any sort of way, right? It can be a, another DSL guy, a complex <laughs> guy. It could be the number one overall prospect, whomever. I'll leave it open to you all to take it however you want to take it. Well, I told you I have like three names and that's part, partly it's because two of the names aren't prospects anymore, Mm. but they so delighted me this year, these prospects who are no longer prospects that I just, I I love them. One is uh, George Kirby um, for the Seattle pitcher. Um, Wow. What a debut this guy has had. Um, You always like to dream that your pitchers will come up and just from day one, just keep doing what they're doing and just get better and better. The guy has such good command. He just, 
he knows how to attack the batters and put the ball where he wants. He's got this pitch mix that just keeps them off balance. And he's just looks, he just looks great. And so if he's this good as a rookie, (laughs) this is a nice foundation. And the second guy too, um, over in the national league, Spencer Strider, um, Whoa! Yeah, this guy <laughs> with the that's game my, he had the other night. That's my that, one guy. I grabbed him right in May of last year when he was still in low A, just because of the strikeout numbers. And I've ridden him all the way through. And oh, if I never have any other guy that I can say I've done that, for, I have. <laughs> it's just amazing. He's not just the best prospect. He's he's in conversation to become the best pitcher in baseball at this point. It's like he's in that that league. He's up way up there. So sometimes. You get spoiled. Guys just explode out of the gate. And then, all right, I'll be fair. Who's my favorite prospect right now? It's, uh, I think, Jordan Lawler, um, shortstop for the Diamondbacks. He has essentially, he's one of those guys that all those shortstops that were drafted in the 2021 draft, and I think he's going to wind up being the best of the bunch. Um, He went through four levels this season alone. He did a brief period in rookie ball, went up to A ball, just wiped them out, went up to high A, no problem at all. Now he's adjusting in double A, slowed down a bit, but my goodness, four levels. And so as a 19-year-old, he's you know reaching double A, he's now 20, assuming he repeats double A to start next year, then goes to triple A, he could be in the major leagues as a 21 year old true shortstop prospect. That's a great prospect. Yeah. Can't argue yeah. With that. Uh, just to jump in. Uh, I, I kind of stuck with, you know, this is a hard one to, you know, someone who follows prospects to pick one person out because there's so many different types of players. My favorite prospect, I'll just start right off about my favorite overall prospects, Corbin Carroll. He's number one. Yeah. I've liked him for about a year and a half. You know, when he was, ranked number 15 or something i was like i just felt confident this this is guy could be number one so he's he just has he's like in my heart because of that because it happened um but in the minor leagues you know again i'm looking at guys who are really flashy big power speed guys that i like uh the two guys that have good hit tools or that i like their hit tools with the power speed are jordan walker and drew jones those yep. are two guys that I'm really high on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, out, but outside of them, guys with the big power and speed with the questionable hit tools that I love are Ellie De La Cruz and James Wood. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. So th- that group of players, I mean, these are all well-known players, all maybe even top 10, top 15 prospects. But these guys all have the potential to be special in their own different way. And I just love watching them play. All, all, yeah. And Jordan Lawler's great, as, as Nick said. And... Spencer Strider and George Kirby are on my big fantasy league right now. I love them. They're t- probably my two favorite pitching prospects. Yeah. Um, I'll go I'll go quirky here and go out of the kind of top 100. I, I, well, first, I'll, I'll wrap up to say this about Strider. So um, my team, as, as many listeners probably know, my team is terrible. Um, because I'm, I'm, I'm not that good actually at, at playing fantasy baseball itself, <laughs> ironically enough. <laughs> however, however, um, but you have good prospects though. I, I try to, I try to stay with some good prospects, right? Um, I will say my team has gotten more competitive this season because I've started to try to have some, some philosophy and some actual like 
team management. And I'm trying to play spoiler. You know, we're wrapping up the season. We got two two weeks to go, two matchups, right? This this one included. And so the uh, team that I'm playing against, they're in a winning in scenario, right? They they beat me, they're they're in. So I'm trying to play spoiler, trying to, you know, make their season, you know, with a bad taste. And I was down hard, right? We're it, it's a Monday to Sunday, you know, matchup league, head to head. And my rule of thumb is like if you can get to Wednesday and and you're competitive in your matchups is it, six by six, then like you got a chance. But if it's you know, if it's over by Wednesday, it's probably over for the for the week. And I was down ten to two going into Wednesday. And I knew I had Strider starting and literally pitched me back into the <laughs> into the matchup. Like literally sixteen strikeouts. He yeah. helped like he helped I I can't say win, but helped lead me into two other categories. So now I'm looking at I'm I'm eight four with a chance to still win a couple more pitching categories to finish out the weekend. All because of Strider. Like that's the type of player he is. That he can yeah. do that. Um, it was mag- and I, I watched it and it was magnificent to watch just um, how he gets it done. Right, just the uh, thinking about the ability and and to your point, Nick, about Kirby to contrast the two. Um, in my opinion, Strider has some of the gains to make that Kirby kind of already has as far as talent, mm-hmm. and so then it gets really scary to think like, what if he can do? An iota command wise and adding in even just an average third pitch that Kirby already has. It's like, oh, goodness, like these two could be Cy Young award winners for like the next 10 years, like in, you know, or at least on the short list. Um, So that's my that's my, you know, gushing about Strider to answer the actual question. My sort of quirky name. um, I'm looking at Atlanta again uh, to keep it there. Uh, and I, I want to actually let me look to make sure because he's a three name guy. So I want to make sure I get the names correctly. Um, I had him up here. Hold on. Dude, I should have written it down, but I didn't. So it's two. Well, it's two quirky names. I'll stay with Atlanta. Um, and that's going to be Justin Henry Malloy is my Atlanta guy. And yeah. I just I just got on to Malloy. And the reason why I'm 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 throwing him in the mix of just favorite, not saying best or anything of that nature, but favorite is just because again, looking at team context, uh, he's a guy that's supposed to be corner infielder, like third base. I think they've been trying him at, at first. Now he's getting some time in left. Not 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 out of the ball at high A, is doing quite well um at double A. And we've seen Atlanta somehow has this magic potion of taking guys from the Mississippi Braves, their double-A team, and just flooding them right up to Atlanta, right? We've seen it with Strider. We've seen it with um, uh, Michael Harris II. Now we have Vaughn Grissom. So I'm like, maybe they go four for four. Um, Also, again, team context, not to get into the miasma that is uh, Marcelo Zuna, but we can say that left field, there might be an opening. (laughs) <laughs> in left field and if they're already uh trotting malloy out there in the minor leagues in another couple of years maybe he's a mm-hmm. fit obviously atlanta has the ability to go out and get uh, a veteran bat to plug in there we've seen them do it before obviously that's how they got eddie rosario but just with whatever they have going on in their system um with building these guys up and getting them major league ready pretty much from the get-go I'm fine with betting on that again and seeing if lightning strikes for fourth time there. Um, and then I'll go 
uh, to Seattle. So this actually worked out perfectly. We talked about Seattle. Guy, I talked about an Atlanta guy. I'll go to Seattle. Go to um, Low A. Axel Sanchez. Um, again, guy I just wrote about as an honorable mention um, a couple weeks ago for uh, the Player of the Week um, column. And I, I've been trying to stay off the low A guys because, again, just like I talked about with DSL, just high variance a lot of times. A lot of things can happen um, by the time they get to even just high A ball. But I like his makeup. Arm strength is there. Footwork is there. So worst case scenario, defensively, he looks like he can stay around at shortstop. Offensively, the numbers look nice for now. Again, it's low A. Take that with a grain of salt. But he has the frame that I think if he adds strength, to continue on with his approach and his frame, there could be something there, right? That the high end outcome could be significant. Low end outcome, again, he could get high A and, and the whole thing falls apart. But just, you know, the last couple of months, guys that I've been writing about and looking at, those are my two. Again, quirky I'll take I'll take Nick's approach and, and throw out some quirky names. I like I like that. Malloy has an eight sixty one OPS at double A. I've I have a saying that there's no dishonest way to get an OPS of 800 or better. Mm. It means you did something good. <laughs> you cannot luck into that. And so OPS is uh, a good sign that he's a good prospect and he's doing it at double A. That's great. Yeah. And like Lamar said, uh, the Braves, they just continued to produce these players. You know, all these names, Michael Harrison, Von Grisham and stuff, they're all well known now, but at the time, like go a ways back and they were obscure off the radar guys. So this guy could turn into the same sort of thing. Yeah. I I think about um, Harris specifically. And you think again, a year and a half ago, if you think about the the back end of that pandemic season, that shortened season um, that we had with major league baseball. And it was like, Oh, Kristen Pache made his major league debut. Um, Drew, Drew Waters, he's definitely going to be right there. Obviously, he's going to be the, the, the second guy. And Harris is kind of like, oh, maybe, maybe, you know, down the line, he might. And Pache can't hit, unfortunately. Great defender, can't hit. They ship him out. Waters looks like he couldn't hit. He's catching fire now with Kansas City. He might just need a new environment. Who knows? But at the time, he was struggling mentally. And Harris just flies right past both of them. Yes. And not only makes the majors, makes a huge impact and has been able to um, kind of ride the ups and downs. Now, obviously he still, you know, has, has much more learning to go. But when I see the things to, to stick with Harris for a second, um, watching a lot of Braves uh, broadcast, they've talked about him lowering his hands and his stance and taking that uh, one of the coaches pointing that out of like, Hey, why don't you lower your hands? See if you can kind of get quicker into your swing. And when I hear and see, prospects taking that sort of um coaching and that sort of developmental talk yeah. early in their career and applying it and getting results from it and sticking with it that tells me like not only do you have the talent but the baseball iq is there because you know hey let me listen to this guy let me try it out and now that i'm seeing results let me continue to learn and get better and better so yeah something in the water in the atlanta farm system and like i said I, i'm willing to bet on it at least one more time um so I have some quick fire questions, so we don't have to go. We don't have to get too long winded uh, unnecessarily. But um, on that note, actually, this is really good transition. Your opinion, what major league team has the best farm system right now? Would you believe I have three? 
Answer. <laughs> <laughs> give, give, give me one. Give me one. No, I'm no, gonna go I'll to Michael. One. Let give you guys. Me, give me one. I'll go to Michael, and then we're gonna come back. I, and I, don't, I don't know necessarily if I'm gonna pick this as the number one, but I think Cincinnati has traded their way into a really nice system. Mm-hmm. Boy, they've got some good shortstops. Okay. Okay, yeah, Michael Cruz and Arroyo and Marte and McLean and Steer. It's like, oh my. <laughs> Michael, who yeah? Best system right now is the Orioles. I love to hear it. Love to hear it. <laughs> Number one, yes. Yeah. Yes. They they simply have it. Yeah. Um I'm I'm gonna be agnostic to this question only because I think I would pick the Orioles and as an Orioles fan that feels like bias. So I'm gonna no, I'm gonna no, not say no, it. it's it's true, it's true. You guys have the best. Um but Nick, so so you were talking about Cincinnati trading their way in, but you got a couple other names. Who are some other names that you have? Uh, Cleveland has a lot of good depth. Good mm-hmm. good players, um, just up and down top one hundred. Um you know, they they've always been a, a good team to develop um, you know, players and they're doing it. And I wouldn't say Arizona has the best overall. But of the top ten, I mean, Carroll and Lawler and Drew Jones, that I'll put them up against you know any other top three anywhere. So they don't have the depth of Baltimore or Cleveland, Cincinnati. But I, you know, shout out to them for some high end talent. Yeah, um, we have we're, we're on the same page there. I, I was, wanted to mention I I wrote down Guardians quality depth. I think they have the most depth, best quality depth system. And I wrote down the Reds are up and coming. Yeah, I, th- I think the Reds, with all the trades and the, and they they drafted and or traded for a lot of high upside guys. I think if they can develop these players, they're going to be right up there at the top pretty soon. Yeah, I, w- I was going to say, um, uh, as far as Cleveland is kind of interesting to uh, think about. We were just, uh, you know, I was just kind of gushing about Atlanta, but Cleveland's kind of been doing the same thing, but for almost an even longer, you know, period of time. Um, and yeah, from a depth standpoint, absolutely. I'm, uh, I was a big Xavier Curry believer. I know his major league debut wasn't, you know, the Mm -hmm. greatest, but I I still like him as a player and, and, and hoping the best for him. But I mean, just from an arm standpoint, Gavin Williams, um, Hunter Gaddis, uh, obviously, uh, um, I'm sorry, go ahead, Nick. Cody Morris. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's just and that's like I said, that's just arms. We're not even talking about position players. So um, Cincinnati is 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 an interesting one because I don't think um, they get the credit due for what their talent actually is, especially post trades. But I think once you start to look around, I mean, Spencer Steer obviously just put on performance last night. Um, but I think yeah, if you start to evaluate who they have, um, especially in that middle infield sort of section pretty impressive sometimes a major league team will do one of those rebuilding deals and the fans start to grumble uh, who do we get and this time the reaction to the long-suffering reds fans was like oh whoa (laughs) that's pretty good actually (laughs) Yeah. yeah um okay who do you have as your number one overall prospect that's not in the majors so no Gunnar henderson no corbin carroll Nobody that's already made their debut. Who's your number one person? Somebody named Jordan. I mentioned Lawler, but and Michael mentioned Walker. I'd say one of those two guys um, at this point. I might even give it to Walker. I agree. 
uh, it's hard. All the guys I named is my favorite prospects. You know, could be in the mix there. Ellie De La Cruz, Jordan Walker, Jordan Lawler. Uh, I would give. Uh, I'd give the slight edge to Jordan Walker right now because of yep. his success at age twenty in Double A. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, it's so funny. I was watching him. You know, watching the Futures game and watching him, and I was like. He's one of those guys that just has like an older face. I'm like, he doesn't look 20. Every time I see a picture of him, I'm like, this guy looks like he's, he's like my age. <laughs> like, like LeBron when he first came exactly, in. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but I think I think the the fascinating thing to me about Jordan Walker is now, you know, the versatility of, of putting him in the outfield and not. I mean, we know he's got a cannon for an arm already with what he did at third. Um but not really missing a, a beat when it comes to obviously hitting, but also defensively, he doesn't look lost out there. Um, and, and, and making that sort of transition, it's not like they took him from third and put him in a corner. Uh, what you have to do as a center fielder is is significant. Um, and they're clearly like that clearly signals. Again, we talked about team environment, team context. When a team is taking a, a, a high end valued uh, prospect and moving them around uh, position wise, a lot of times I was telling you, we're, we have to figure out how to get this guy yeah. in the majors. We got to do it. We just have to make him fit. We have Nolan Arenado. Obviously, you're not moving uh, moving him off the position, and that's fine. Like, you love to have that problem. But we got to get this guy in the lineup somewhere. So we got to figure out what it is. And putting him in the outfield, it's like, okay, they got rid of um, uh, Bader, but they still have a handful of outfielders even there. Um, they're trying to figure out, you know, is Carlson center fielder or right fielder? They have O'Neill, obviously. But that's all the indicators, all the, the flags that you want to see that says Walker in the next year, year and a half, he's going to be at the major league level somewhere in the lineup. Um, they're just trying to figure out, you know, all the different ways they can do it. So, yeah, I think Jordan Walker, to me, I, what I like about him is because he, uh, when you think from a fantasy standpoint, he is a person that maybe not necessarily five tools. I don't think he has the foot speed in the stolen base department, but definitely like is a four category guy. You know, you look at his numbers. He's, he's not, um, I think the last time I looked, he's at like 18 home runs or something like that. He's not, you know, all power. He's got power. He's going to get you average. If you're in an average league, he can do OBP. If you're in an OBP league, cause he has a great approach. Um, you know, he's going to be, you can put him middle of the lineup. You can put him on a, you know, bottom third of a lineup. He's going to produce runs. He's going to produce RBIs. He's just wherever you, whatever you need category wise fantasy. I think Walker is one of the best as, yeah. as far as being able to, to produce that for you. So yeah, I like that. I like that as an answer. And I do think his, like you were saying with the outfield, his ability to play outfield and he is stealing some bases in the, in the minor league. So his mm-hmm. athleticism is underrated. Mm. At, at least when he's young, he's going to be able to chip in in stolen bases, maybe like four and a half category player, turn into a four category monster. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to your point, Lamar. Yeah. Well, I never worry about these guys being blocked. If if they're good, these teams will find a way to bring yeah. them up. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's where going back to what I was talking about earlier, I think that's where when you talk about like betting on the, on the talent, I think in those situations, that's where that uh, philosophy really does shine. Right. Of like, if a team is 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 really on board, um, the only other thing that I think about, and you can never really predict it, is if they want to, you know, if you have somebody like a Jerry Depoto or or AJ Preller who's just trade happy, right, and he'll he'll swap you out in a heartbeat. But like most GMs aren't like that, most teams aren't set up like that. So, um, you know, trades are like the only other thing that could like potentially uh, block, so to speak, um, that sort of growth. But 
um yeah when when you're producing at that level at that age to, to michael's point nick i think you're 100 on or uh, right on like they're they're going to figure out a way to get you in the lineup um to make it work uh unless they're colorado <laughs> Ooh, I mean, we'll, we'll see. Maybe they turn. The, maybe they're trying to turn the page. We see they, they got a couple guys up. They got Montero yeah, up yeah. good. It looks like. Um, who did they just uh, promote? I'm blanking. Uh, Toglia, right? They just brought yeah, Toglia up. Yeah, so yeah. maybe we'll see. Hey, we'll see. Tovar emerged this year. Yeah, yeah. Ezekiel Tovar. Yeah, um, yeah. Which is kind of surprising that they didn't bring him up. I know he's cooled off a, a bit from from how hot he was in, in May June part of july but i would have thought he would have made um his appearance before Todia. but still you know he's around he's in that mix so we'll see um so a, a couple more sort of rapid fire questions starting 2023 all right so brand new year who is the best pitcher going into 2023 so i got some names i'll, I'll try to help along i got some names that point out grayson rodriguez daniel espino andrew painter Yuri Perez, and then you have like other, like if there's somebody else that I'm not thinking of. Give it up for the Oreos. <laughs> yeah. They keep bringing up the number one prospect in baseball. And then a few weeks later, they bring up the number one prospect in baseball. And a few weeks later, they can do it again with Grayson Rodriguez. The guy is obliterating triple A, triple A. So what, what more is there to say? I mean, that this has just been, been fantastic. He's just been coming up every level, does it, he's ready. I agree. It's Grayson Rodriguez for me, especially when you're looking at a fantasy perspective. Uh, I, I think had he not got injured, he'd already be in the majors right mm-hmm. now, having similar successes like a Kirby and Strider, just be a really good pitcher immediately. And so I think if as long as he's healthy, I think he's going to be a big part of people's teams, even in redraft next year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I will, again, because I don't want anybody to accuse me of like trying to force this into a, a Orioles love fest, even though I love to hear all this great Orioles answers. <laughs> um, I'm going to I'm going to zig a little bit. I'm going to go with Andrew Painter only because um, I I was not a believer. I don't know why. I don't have a good answer for why I wasn't a believer. But I was just like, ah, Andrew Painter, people talking about and then just like paying more and more attention. Um, I'm pretty sure I gave him picture of the week in one of the uh, last couple of uh, weeks right in the column. Just the numbers that he's putting up and the way he's doing it. Uh, and with a Phillies team that I think maybe that's part of it is I don't know if I trust that team still to actually develop pitchers given what they've done in the past, in the recent past. So I think maybe that's has kind of colored my, my perspective on that. But either through them or in spite of them, um, Painter's just put up numbers. Now he's at double A. He's continuing to dominate. Uh, and I think him, obviously, they have Micah Bell. They have uh, Griff McGarry. Um, they have, you know, uh, a triumvirate of guys that they feel good about. But I think Painter's definitely the best of that of those three. And I am just very eager to see him in a full season at double A and beyond. Like, what does that look like? Um, I think it's interesting. Uh, I'll, I'll just bookmark Yuri Perez. Um, I think it's interesting to see the heat a little bit die down from him. Uh, I, I know in AAA he's had a, a couple more struggles. I still think the talent is there. Um, I think maybe he's kind of like in that Edward Cabrera of like, he's always going to have a little bit of 
maybe some blowups. There's always going to be a little bit of a command issue every now and then. But I think the talent, the stuff is just so sort of rare that if you have him on your team, I'm almost like I can live with that. I can live with the fact that like every now and then he might put up an ugly start. Every now and then it might not look that great. It might be a three, four walk type of deal. But then he's going to turn around and give you like, you know, six innings eight strikeouts, you know, just like, just complete, yeah. look, look completely dominant. So um, I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to zig and go with Painter, but I like hearing Grayson Rodriguez. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Yuri Perez is a unicorn. I mean, as far as pitching prospects, so just a big, tall, a teenager just excelling in the upper levels. If I wasn't so high on Grayson Rodriguez and he wasn't so close, he would be the answer for me. Yeah. I, I just don't think there's any players with his combination of, of skills and talent and just every everything combined, he's he's a unicorn. You, you don't see players like this come along very often. Yeah, and really just out of nowhere. I mean, I I know I'm newer to the prospect game than 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 you guys are, but even just thinking about again the back in 2020, going into 2021, like it was just like oh this guy low. And again, it was like oh lower levels like that. You know, he's doing well. But the Mar- again team context, the Marlins have so many different pitchers at so many different levels. Right, we we're waiting for Max Meyer, um, mm-hmm. Jake Eater. Cabrera was still, you know, very much a prospect at the time. It was like, oh, okay. And then it was just like, boom, boom, boom. Every level and just not good, great. Like, not okay, just complete dominance. So, yeah, I agree that that mixture of stuff, youth, how he just, his 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 look on the mound, his approach, um, very, very interesting to continue to watch Yuri Perez. Um, I'm going to pivot into the question that I did not prepare you guys for. I'm going to force you to make a call here. Okay. I'm going to force it upon you. 2023. This time next year, your American League and National League Rookie of the Year. I want names. American League Rookie of the Year is. It could well be Rodriguez. (laughs) It could. uh, Or Gunnar Henderson. I mean. I could see these guys just having great years. Um, could I mean, be my answers up. are going to be pretty. My answers are going to be pretty obvious. I think just the player. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's going to be Corbin Carroll and Grayson Rodriguez. I wouldn't bet against them. Cool. They've got the talent. I, that's where you put your money. Cool. Um, I like I like the Grayson. I, I again I like the Grayson love. I think my hesitance on on picking him is just like I know. Generally speaking, it's very difficult for pitchers to win uh, rookie of the year unless you're literally doing like a, essentially what Spencer Strider is doing, like that sort of thing, right. where you're dominating from the jump throughout. Um, which is obviously hard for most young pitchers to do. Part and of and even then, they'll probably still give it to Michael Harris. Right, right, right. And I mean, that's a good, that's a good chance. Like this year, he he may lose to his teammate. Um, so I think that's my hesitance. So if I'm not picking Grayson Rodriguez for American League, and I'm going with my thought on it being a position player, who be an American League position player? It, it probably sticks with the Orioles, and it's probably is Gunnar Henderson, right? Just Agreed. just from what he's shown yeah. already. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Yeah, and I think you know, um, you were saying Corbin Carroll. I was a Corbin Carroll fan. I had him on my team. I stupidly traded him away 
I still kick myself to this day. Because <laughs> I remember, and it's so funny because the manager that traded him to me first saw that I traded him away and was like, I really thought you liked that guy. Why did you trade him? I was like, I don't know. That was dumb. <clears throat> I was like, as soon as the as soon as it was done, I was like, why did I do that? That was very stupid. Um He's just the type of player that I tend to like, which is another question that we'll get to. But um, again, just that sort of four, four and a half, five category guy. Um, he may never be a league leader, so to speak, in one thing, but it doesn't matter because he's going to help win your fantasy league and in real life as well because he contributes in so many different ways. And that's not even to get into defensively. I mean, we're talking about uh, a team in the Diamondbacks who has Alec Thompson, uh, Alec Thomas, who's no slouch, but when everybody's like, yeah, but Corbin Carroll's so much better, that says a lot. Because, <laughs> like, again, Alec Thomas is, is a good player. I know he's he's going through a bit of rush, uh, rough patch um, hitting-wise right now, but, like, he will adjust and, and continue to be a good player. So to have somebody else that is going to usurp him both defensively in the outfield as well as offensively says a lot about what Carroll is um, as a player. So I like both of those picks. I definitely agree. I think um, health being the same uh, being even, I think Corbin Carroll kind of going away, and and I'll I'll go with Gunner over Grayson, but mm-hmm. I, I think it's I think it's Orioles Rookie of the Year next year. I'll give you I'll give two dark horses also uh, Miguel Vargas for the Dodgers if he's mm-hmm. able to play if they, if they get a regular job, and also Josh Young for the Rangers. Oh, yeah. that's that's, that's there there you go, Michael. See that's that's why you have all the bylines. That's why you don't know all the podcasts. Because you're, you're thinking with your noodle, Josh Young. How did? How could I forget? Um, and I literally wrote this as I was writing about Young. Like we forget, or some of us may forget, he was essentially guaranteed to be the starting third baseman for the Rangers to go into this year until he got hurt. Like it was already a done deal, and then he comes back from injury and shows why it was a done deal. Um, every level is like, oh, injury? What injury? No, I'm good. Move me up a level. Yeah, I'm good there. Move me up another level. Yeah, I'm good there. And right. in a compressed back end of the uh, of the season when everybody mm-hmm. has already ramped up, everybody else has been doing this for a whole thing. He comes rehab and looks like he's been doing it all year. Young is a, a, a young is a, a great call. Um, and who's your uh, who's your other dark horse? Miguel Vargas for the Dodgers. It's, a, it's I, a playing time situation there. Yeah, yeah, and I feel stupid because why would you bet against the Dodgers winning the Rookie of the Year? Like, <laughs> just look at the track record. Opportunity, maybe you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, those are good calls. So there you go. If you're if you're a gambler, I know we don't talk gambling talk on this one, but if if you're a betting person, there's your favorites and there's a couple dark horses for you. And you know, um, the norm is for a prospect to reach a new level and adjust and struggle. And so when you see the guys that don't do that, that's when you really think, oh, this is a top guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you guys are teaming up for these transitions perfectly. And, and we got a couple more before we finish up. Um, in that, in that case, in that vein, some, some self-reflexive things, some a couple of self-reflexive questions that I put on here, what prospect types are the ones that you tend to gravitate towards? And I know Michael earlier, you were saying like power and speed is a big one for you. Um, Nick, I think you and I had this conversation um, on our podcast where I was admitting being a big toolsy yep. outfield young like guy that's <laughs> like that's my go-to but like who are who are some of those prospect types and like what what is it about that type that you tend to gravitate toward uh well for me 
I, you did mention the power speed, but that's probably my second favorite just because the hit tool concerns. My favorite prospect type is a plus hit tool, plus speed with the potential to develop power as he matures. Mm. Um, and those are the players that I, I gravitate towards the most. I don't pay as much attention to positions in the minors. I mean, it's a factor. Like, I'm going to look at if they're a corner infielder or an outfielder or something. But players move around so much when they get called up. Even from AAA, you know, like Von Grisham, he's just playing second base for the Braves right away. So uh, I just look at more look at the skill sets. And I definitely like hitters over pitchers just because of the risk associated with pitching. And I'm just the opposite. I gravitate toward the pitchers. <laughs> my favorite pitcher, well, my all-time favorite player is Walter Johnson. But in modern days, it was Greg Maddox who caught my imagination. And I love guys with great command. You need three pitches, at least average pitches or potential to be average. But if you've got command, that's where I fall in love, where you can put the ball just where you want. I like uh, the George Kirby types who can just just say, nope, this is this is I'm, I'm pitching now. I'm putting it where I want. See what you can do. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so like like I said, I, I meant to the Tuesday out first type. And it probably goes back. You were talking about your, your love of, of Maddox. I'm thinking about um, my uh, particular childhood and, and growing up, you know, kid of the 90s so i'm watching king griffey jr in outfield i'm watching andrew yeah. jones in the outfield like um even tory hunter even though i admit i wasn't as big a tory hunter fan but even still like just just watching what these guys do the athleticism um again that all-around performance uh being able to do it you know defensively being able to steal some bases being able to to be a power hitter a, a good uh hitter for average um so that's kind of i, I think where what captures my mind is just like the the eleven year old me. It's yeah, just yeah. being like that guy. <laughs> but I think uh, you were talking about you know hitters over pitchers, pitchers over hitters. Um, I have steered into pitching way more than I would have imagined. Considering I've never been a a pitcher fan, like I, I've never it, it it's a world that boggles my mind. I still have a ton to to learn about it the physics of it the the science of it like i'm much more of like let's talk about a guy swing um his mechanics there but something about from a prospect standpoint i know that it's antithetical to what most of us have been taught and hear from a lot of podcasts like this but i have tended to steer recently into pitching i think just because the risk factor is high like that is a real thing but it is that sort of chasing that hive, like, but when you do land one, right? When you do land the George Kirby, when you do land the Spencer Striders, when you do land, you know, the, the, um, even if you think back a couple of years, um, you know, to thinking about if you landed a Kershaw or a Bumgarner, like, when you do land that guy in a fantasy band, uh, standpoint, you can ride that guy like so long. <laughs> and it's it feels so good to be like, yeah, I called it. I saw it back when he yeah. was at high A, double A, whatever the case is. So yeah. um, maybe not the smartest fantasy play. I'll admit that. But <laughs> it is something I found myself doing um, this last year or so. <laughs> like winning the lottery. Exactly. That's really well, what the it more, is. The more knowledge you gain on the pitching, because I'm the same way as you. I, I have more experience with hitters. But I also recognize the importance of pitchers, in, even in fantasy. It's, a you know, the best teams in a lot of these big leagues I play are doing it because of their pitching staff. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If you can learn how to identify the right type of pitchers, 
like a Ricky Tiedemann and Andrew Painter and these guys and just start stockpiling these, it, it doesn't be, it's, it's less risky because then you're just trying to avoid injury. Right. You, you, you're, such, if, you, if you're able to find the skill set and the talent. And exactly. We have, so, we have good tools it. now. Yeah. For pitching, right? We really can measure these guys. And so it's not just guesswork. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We've got guys like, like, like you two. We got the two Richards that I can fall back on and be like, what are these guys talking about? <laughs> Let me follow their lead. Um, so th- the last question that I have here um, as far as on the rundown is what is one thing that you have learned or picked up or, or, or absorbed this past season that will impact how your process, how, what your process is when you go about evaluating um, prospects going forward? Well, that was a tough one for me because this is all a learning process for me. Like even since I got started, I'm like, I knew a lot when I came in, but I'm just constantly trying to add more. So just the, for me, I guess the thing I narrowed it down to is just the importance of understanding advanced metrics mm-hmm. to like paint a more clear picture. You know, when I used to play leagues with my friends and home leagues, I didn't need to know that stuff. I could just kind of pick my favorite players and just work out because the players I was playing against weren't very talented or didn't work hard at it coming into this realm against people who know this stuff like the back of their hands and understand it even more than me. It's just an essential part of the game. Like in, and just being able to understand what the numbers mean, like in, in what, and just look at it from a historical perspective. And it's just one big giant puzzle to put together. Uh, I don't, I, I don't know, just, just learning how to take all those different things, put it all together and analyze it and figure out what it means. It could be, a, it's, it's really big for Dynasty and just Prospect Analysts because if you can do this, you can start to find the players before everyone else that everyone else is going to like. And also, all this stuff that we're learning and talking about with prospects, it can all be applied to the Major League players too. Mm, yeah. Same sort of stats, same sort of things. So when you're doing drafts, you just carry it over. Oh, those type of players. I like the prospects. Here's who I'm drafting in the major leagues. So talking about, you know, measurements and tools, we, in recent years, we've learned about um, not just the velocity of the pitch, but the spin of the pitch. And more recently, the movement of the pitch, horizontal movement, right? Either side of the plate and vertical movement sort of dropping out, so that the, the batter doesn't have as much of a chance to get a hit. Well, this year, what I learned was that it's not a universally good thing to have a lot of vertical movement. Mm-hmm. You think, well, more movement is good, right? No. If you have so much vertical movement that the ball is routinely dropping out of the strike zone and it's visible to the batter that it's going to drop out of the, the strike zone, then it's just a wall. It doesn't help you. And so... I've focused on the fact that it's not just a simple matter of saying, oh, more movement is good. It's the right movement in the right areas. That's what you want. Mm. Um, yeah, that's that's the sort of stuff that I'm still trying to pick up. That's that's exactly what I mean when I talk about the science, right, is, is um, both of you guys, your answers are exactly what I would kind of put is, as I'm learning more about pitching, especially because of how vital it is, um, learning about spin rate and like, what does that mean? And when I'm looking at Savant or if I'm on a pitcher list, one of the player pages, like what exactly am I looking at and looking for? Right. So, um, 
to me, I think it's getting an idea of, okay, I know I can access some different tools from some different places, some, some different resources, but A, what am I looking for, right? And B, when I'm looking through this data, like, what what am I like? How what story is it actually telling me? Do I actually understand what these stats and what these things mean? Um, and if not, like, where can I find more information to to get me to understand? So I think for for me, if I'm picking like one thing that I've learned, uh, it's probably about pitch mix and looking at swings and misses. Uh, through like the percentage of pitches being used because there's a couple of guys um, that I'm still some guys I'm still trying to trade for it I'm, I'm preparing for the offseason now where I'm like yes his results he, they look bad but there's a couple of things underlying that if it's always that that mighty if right mm-hmm. if whether it be a pitching coach himself mm-hmm. whomever says hey why don't we tweak this if he starts leaning on pitch B instead of pitch A, if he starts throwing this a little bit more, if he's locating it up instead of down, you know, to your point, Nick, right? Like if you have that much movement, if you understand that, then you need to start locating it more up middle so it can go to the bottom of the zone. You can't start at the bottom of the zone because it's going to, if if you start to have that mindset and start to take that on, there could be something here. Um also, if that doesn't happen, obviously the results are going to continue on. But just trying to understand that more and more, because then to Michael's point, um, that's when you can start to make those bets of like, you know what, I'm going to bet on this guy having a turnaround, right? I'm going to bet on this guy, and, and when it happens again, it's, it's when in the lotto. It's like, how did you know that this pitcher was going to be this tier above next season? Well, look at curveball usage, slider, etc. It was always there. They just needed to to make those those tweaks so yeah there's there's always more to learn there's always more to learn um this was great thank you both uh for coming out i love learning from both of you uh we will continue having conversations off mic um we joked about you two getting your own podcast i don't know if that (laughs) will happen but if it does i would definitely be tuning in but regardless um promo time where can folks find you all I'm um, part of the minor league team at baseballhq.com, but I also have, as you mentioned, my own site, milbanalysis.com, where I point you to the book that I wrote, Visual Guide to Minor Leaguers, using graphics to find prospects. Um, you talked about you know, all these numbers. I show you how to put them in a spreadsheet and color code them so that it, the, the good stuff pops out and the bad stuff pops out. I show you where on the web you can find all the resources you need to, to really understand. And I give you tips about what leagues are hard for uh, batters and good for pitchers and just a lot of a lot of information, 120 pages. And um, a lot of people have said it's been very helpful. Yeah. And uh, thanks, Lamar, for having me on. I appreciate this. Uh, I was I was really looking forward to talking with you and uh, it lived up to my hopes uh i'm uh you can find my writing at fan tracks uh my my articles have been a little off and on right now just because i'm trying to grind out this uh tgfbi victory just focused on that down the stretch but i'll get back to that in the off season uh you can find me at uh triple play fantasy for podcasts we do a weekly podcast show uh the call up with david mendelson and myself and 
You can find me on Twitter at MPRichards1981. And as I said, after after the season gets going, I'll get back into doing more daily stuff and try to help people find those uh, those pop-ups and uh, let everyone know players they should be looking at. Perfect. Well, um, as always, want to let uh, our listeners know that you can find this podcast and all of our Pitcher List pods on the Pitcher List Network podcast page. They're all available in the podcast section of Pitcher List for you to find, listen, and subscribe. You can find me in my writing um, on PitcherList.com. I also have the Inside Fastball newsletter. You can find that on my Twitter page. It is at Inside Fastball, capital I, capital F. This is it. This is the last episode of the season. Um, hope to uh, talk with you all in 2023. Good luck on your playoffs and the rest of your season and enjoy the rest of your day.